Oh, and Lord, how we look forward to that day when we are in your very presence, face to face, singing your praises, rejoicing in your presence, dancing with you in your, on the streets of gold in your kingdom. Lord, we, we also are so thankful for the fact that we have assurance of that because of your sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, as we sang, how you pursue us with your love. We thank you so much for that. And we desire so much tonight to, to, to worship you. Lord, we gather here together tonight in the middle of, of a busy week, no doubt. So many things clamoring for our attention and the, the world screaming and, and just going in so many different directions. Lord, we come here tonight to just focus on you and you alone. Lord, would you... Would you speak to us very personally tonight, no matter where we are, no matter where we are in our walk with you, no matter where we are in our, in our daily lives, Lord, we just come here tonight and say, would you, do a, would you do a work in here? Would you speak to us, Lord? Would you, would you comfort those that need comforting? Would you strengthen those that need strengthening? Lord, would you, would you convict us who need convicting? Lord, do a work that only you can do in our hearts. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you say hi to everybody around you tonight and uh, grab your Bibles. So how is everybody? Good? Praise the Lord. Would you uh, take out your Bibles with me, please, and open them up to Psalm 73. We are going to move into 1 Kings, just not tonight. Wednesday nights we go through the, the Old Testament verse by verse, and we finished up a couple weeks ago and finished 2 Samuel, and we will be getting into 1 Kings, but this evening... We're going to take a look at a psalm written by a man named Asaph. He wrote about a dozen psalms. He was a man who we don't know a whole lot about, which is interesting because he is responsible, like I said, for writing 12 psalms. And if we look at that and hold that up, I mean, he wrote more of what we hold in our hands than Peter did and Jude did and James did and those guys that we know a lot about. But Asaph was, was one who... Uh, he was he was a Levite. Uh, he was he was one that David had put in place as one of the worship leaders in the in the sanctuary, and he actually uh, was p- part of it there with during David's reign, but then also into his son Solomon's reign. And as we look at this tonight, we we need to understand a little bit too about all of the things that he witnessed and that he saw. When we look at, as we've looked at the life of David, and we've seen those things, those ups, those downs, those, those uh, high points of David, the low points of David, the betrayal that went on, you know, all of these things. Asaph was somebody who was there and witnessed those things. And then into the life of Solomon, again, the highs and the lows and all of those things. 
we, we have a tendency sometimes to, to look at the, at the history and, and reading through and, and can sometimes disconnect from the real life that goes on, that went on. I don't know about you, but every once in a while when I'm watching an old movie and a black and white movie, it somehow is totally different than a color movie. And when it's colored, it's like all of a sudden, okay, well, I can relate to that a little bit more. I think sometimes when we look at, look at Old Testament stories, Bible stories, and even look back into history, we can be disconnected from it. One of the things that I love about the Word of God, and I love specifically about this psalm, this is one of my favorite psalms, is that when I'm reading it, I can say, dude, I can totally relate to that. I can totally understand what it is that you're feeling, what it is that you're going through, the, the emotions that Asaph felt. And I probably, as we go through this tonight, you probably would agree, man, I can connect with that. I can understand that. And one of the things, as we start off in this, I want to remind you, because get, gets, he gets right down to it, just in the first couple of verses. This is a godly man. This is a worship leader in the house of the Lord. And how the things that were going on around in the world, in, in his world, and the things that he was experiencing, experiencing and seeing, these were very real things to him and real emotions that he just records for us. And I encourage you, as you read through the Psalms, you'll, you will see that. And I encourage the Psalms to be a part of your regular study and your Bible reading. Because it is very real emotions that, are, that we're going to see and we're going to go through. And as we pick this up, we start out, verse 1, Psalm 73, verse 1, surely God is good. Amen? <laughs> God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And you know what? That is something that I, I just, I camp here for just a second because it is so important that we never forget that. It's not just something that God is good sometimes. We... We, we have, again, a tendency to, to, as Pat mentioned, we have a tendency sometimes to put God in a category like we experience with one another. You know, I, I'm good sometimes, but not all the time. You can, you can ask my wife, you can ask my kids, you know, they can say, Dad is good sometimes, you know. But God is good all the time. All the time. There is never a moment when God is not good. It is a very part of his character. It is who he is. It is part of his holiness. He cannot be bad. He cannot do evil. And not only is he good, but he shows his goodness. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now you could say, well, uh-oh, 0 for 2. I'm not Jewish. And my heart certainly is not pure, the Bible tells us. Our heart is desperately wicked. Well, the great part about that, both, you categorize. If you're a born-again believer here tonight, you fit both of those categories. Because Romans chapter 11 tells us that as believers, we have been grafted into Israel. We are, we are a part of God's chosen people, Israel. Not because we were born in there, but because we were born again into that. We have been grafted in. But also, he says, to those who are pure in heart. David said in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. That word create means bara, is, is, the, is the Hebrew word bara, which means to create out of nothing, to make something new. He's not taking the old, he's, he's saying, give me a new heart. And that's what God does in us. 
And we know that, that through what we just celebrated again this weekend, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, that we do stand before him blameless. Our hearts are cleansed by his blood. And so we see this. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But the enemy that we face, the enemy that we have, a very real enemy, will continually try to steal that truth from us. Continually. That's something that goes back to the very first. If we go back all the way to, to Genesis, the, the very beginning, when, when he first tempted Eve, when he first came against Eve, that's what he did. He came against the truthfulness of God by questioning him, did God really say? And if God really said that, is that what he really meant? But then he questioned God's goodness. God's holding out on you. He doesn't want what's best for you. If he wanted what's best for you, he'd want you to be just like him. And I could tell you how to be just like him. Take a bite of this and you'll be just like him. You'll be just like God. The enemy is a liar and he's trying to steal that away from us continually. Verse 2, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but. Something funny about that word but, isn't there? It erases everything that came prior to, right? I mean, I, I, you know, people regularly, you know, when somebody's going to come up to me and, and they're talking to me and, and laying out a whole bunch of good things, I'm just like, all right, well, let's get to the but. You know, I, I, I really love, I really love this and this and man, this is going right, but, <laughs> and that's just putting everything else aside. And we see that in here because he says, but as for me. Something now, he, he, he's, he's not discounting the fact that God is good, and he's not discounting the fact that God is good to Israel and those who are clean heart. He says, but as for me, something has taken place inside of him. And again, he's going to pour this out for him. My feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. And he goes on to say, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looked around him and he saw the world as it was playing out. He saw, he, 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 he goes and he worships and he sees God, but then he walks out into the everyday world and he looks around him and he sees all of this wickedness and all of these people walking around so boldly and arrogantly. And he confesses, he says, I was envious of that. Something inside of him said you know, that, that, I, I almost desire that. And he goes on to explain it a little bit more. He says, for there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. He is seeing and again being deceived because none of that is true. When we look at that, that's not true. The world tries to display that for us and the enemy tries to promote that for us. See, and again, God is holding out on you. Look at how everybody else, you know, look at how everybody's going through their lives. There's no pain in their death, man. They just coast right on through to the end. And we look at this and we can't help but again identify with Asaph, can't we? When we look at the world around us and we say, man, I don't understand. How can all of these people be getting away with all of this stuff? It appears as though, man, they, their life is just, just like a cakewalk. They don't have any real problems. They don't have any real difficulties. 
There's no pains in their death. Their, their, their body is fat. He goes on, therefore, pride is their necklace. Their, the, the garment of violence covers them. We see that everywhere, don't we? Pride is their necklace. I mean, we see that even literally. Big old medallions hanging off of big old gold chains and just saying, hey, look at me. Look at me. It's all about me. Wearing pride is a necklace. The arrogance of the world. It doesn't matter how I got here, but look at where I am. Look at all of the people I stepped on. That doesn't matter. And violence, if I have to, if I have to kill somebody to get here. And we see that everywhere. We see it all around the news. We see it on, on it, you know, the Hollywood and all of these things that are, that are laid out in front and glorifying this. Their eyes bulge from fatness. That, again, speaking of their, their arrogance and their condescending attitude. Anybody else get tired of that? This whole condescending attitude, especially to believers, especially to those who are following Jesus. The world looks at you, you guys are just a bunch of idiots. You guys are fools. Condescending attitude. Their imaginations of their heart run riot. Everything that they desire, they just go after it. All of the fleshly desires, all of these things. And it's propagated all over the place. We see it playing out. We see it playing out even, and again, it's, it's all the arrogance. I'm sorry, the arrogance of the people that are running for political office. Is that bothering anybody else? I mean, it's, it, who, do, who do you all think you are? I mean, you are one of us, right? You're supposed to be represent, but the arrogance and the, uh, the above-it-allness <laughs> of it. And he's looking at this, and he, he's, he just doesn't understand. And I want to just, again, pause here, as I will a couple of times as we go through this, because the, the, when we get to those points when we don't understand, because I, I do. I look around and I say, God, I don't understand this. We've got to go back to verse 1 regularly. <laughs> the things that we don't understand and we see it playing out in the world, we go back to verse 1. Surely God is good all the time. <laughs> and all the time God is good. He continues in verse 8. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues parade through the earth, setting their mouths against the heavens. The arrogance of, of speaking, you know, where is this God of yours? You know, I, flaunting their sins, as Isaiah said, dragging their sin around as with a cart rope, just flaunting and proud of their sin. Therefore, verse 10, his people return to this place. His people, meaning the people that he's talking about, not his people being God. His people, the, the ones that are following after and saying, man, I want that. I'd like some of that. I want what he's got. The waters of abundance are drunk by them. So many people following this and buying into this. It's the thing that is so scary about Hollywood and the music industry and all of these things that all of the young people just flocking after this and saying, I want some of that. I want that. That's what I want. Doesn't matter the cost. It's almost like there's a whole generation raising up that says, it doesn't matter what it costs me. I want what they have. They say, how does God know? Again, defying God. And is 
And is there knowledge with the Most High again? Like, God's, God's not going to do anything about this. He First of all, he probably doesn't even care, and we're just going to keep on going my way with this. But these are the wicked, and always at ease, they have increased in wealth. The, the rich get richer. Things keep piling on. Again, it just seems like everything they do turns to gold. Everything they touch is okay. They're above the law. They're bigger than life. Feeling like, you know, Asaph here. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. It's just getting run over by all of this. And can you relate? Can you understand the, the, the feelings that he's having looking around? And he says in verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. Wow. He's basically saying, man, is, what good is it to be good? What benefit is there to truly do the right thing? And if focusing on all of those things and focusing on, on the world around, it's easy to draw the wrong conclusion because that is a wrong conclusion to say, it's been in vain that I've done this. Again, a godly man serving the Lord and questioning, man, is it really all worth it? Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Verse four, verses 13 and 14, as he's comparing his life and what he's going through to what it appears like what's going on in the rest of the world, he's saying, man, living a godly life is more difficult and filled with more hardship than the rest of the world is going through. We have a tendency in our flesh to exaggerate, don't we? <laughs> on both counts. And again, I don't know about you, but that's one of the things in Psalm 73 that, that I, I, have a, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can look at some of these other people. I can look at some of these other things and, and feel just like Asaph. Man, they get away with everything. And I don't get away with anything. You know, their life just seems so easy. And man, I'm struggling through with these things and battling against these things. Maybe it would be just easier if I just gave into this stuff. Am I alone in that? You don't have to answer that question. He says in verse 15, If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now we have this internal battle because he realizes who he is and the responsibility he has, not only as a spiritual leader, but as a father to his children, as a husband to his wife a spiritual leader to those who have been entrusted to him. He's saying, man, if, I, if, I, if I'm honest about this, if I'm honest with the things that I'm struggling with, man, I could lead people astray. And so he keeps it inside. He puts on a different face, perhaps. And you know what? When we do that, the enemy loves to jump on that, right? You hypocrite. Man, if they only knew. And again, the enemy is relentless in these things. When I pondered, verse 16, to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. When I tried to figure it all out, 
It was really difficult. Really a battle in this. And when I read that, I, I think of the prophet Habakkuk, who was going through a similar thing, having a discussion with the Lord about this, and it's in Habakkuk chapter 1. It says, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. He's crying out to God. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Again, this is written a long time ago. Doesn't it sound like it's just ripped out of the headlines today? But listen to God's answer. God answers Habakkuk and he says, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. God is doing something in our day. He's not done. And, and I, I believe he would say the same thing today if he were to just speak to us right now. You wouldn't believe it if I told you what I'm up to, what I'm doing. When we get to this point, and if you never have, God bless you. If you are right now, take heart, because we're getting, we're getting to the part where we, we start dealing with these things. But we need to understand that, that we need to let God be God, even if we don't understand it. We need to let the king of the universe be the king, even though we don't necessarily agree with how he's doing it. Because you know what? It's not a democracy. We don't get to vote. We don't get to cast our ballot and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not in favor of this. The only, real, the only real government that works is a theocracy. He's in charge. He's the king. He calls the shots, and we are his servants, and we simply go. And again, I go back to that point again. When we don't understand what it is that he's doing, we go to the things that we do understand. He is sovereign, and he loves us. Don't ever forget those three things. When, when, you're facing, when you're facing an obstacle, when you're facing things that are just, you know, it just seems insurmountable, God is good, God is sovereign, and he loves us. He loves us so much that he died for us. We can never, those, those types of things, when the things get, get crazy, When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. In verse 17, everything starts to shift. He says, until. That's kind of like one of those buts. <laughs> things, things change now. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Notice in verse 17, not one of his circumstances changed. Not one thing externally changed. All that changed was his perception. All that changed was his viewpoint of where he was looking at everything from. Until I came to the sanctuary of God. It's important that we as believers come regularly to the sanctuary of God. God bless you guys for coming out on a Wednesday night to come and fellowship together, to come and worship God, to come and pray, to come and study his word. Because it's there, 
it's here, it's in those situations where we get recalibrated. When we walk out of here tonight, the world will not have changed. But hopefully our perspective has. Hopefully we've been able to get regrounded and in, in looking again in the right direction. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Keep your finger here. We're going to come back to Psalm 73. But Hebrews chapter 10. Because it's important not only to understand that we come to the sanctuary, but understand what it is that God desires for us to take place when we gather together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, pause there, we have confidence. We have confidence not in ourselves. We have confidence because of the blood of Jesus that we can boldly come to the throne of grace, that we can boldly come before him. We can boldly come to the sanctuary. Verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, we have a, this full of the assurance of faith. When we come in faith, seeking God, worshiping him in song and with our hearts, studying his word, again, we now understand he reveals those things to us. Might not give us all of the details, but we can take, we can take, take hold of that hope that we have, that faith that we have knowing that we serve an almighty God who is working out his eternal purposes. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, and here it is, guys, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Would you say that with me? For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Guys, the day is drawing near. We are closer to day, and you could, people say, yeah, you Christians have always been saying that. Okay, but I can tell you one thing, we're closer today than we were even yesterday. But we can't deny the way the world is going and the things that are happening. The time is drawing near. And he tells us specifically what we're to do. Verse 24, stimulate one another. I, I, I get it because I do it too. I go online and I listen to, to pastors and, and I'm encouraged as I hear the word of God taught. Yes. But guys, he didn't say... You know, come and, and have, your, have your pastor encourage you and all of this other kind of stuff. No, it says one another, and it says it twice. This is something we do together. That's why it's important to gather together. We are to encourage one another, strengthen one another, pick each other up, help each other along, call each other out if we need to. <laughs> and I love this. That word... Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Love and good deeds, that's what we're to stimulate one another to do. But that word stimulate literally means to irritate. Yeah. 
but irritate one another to love, to good deeds. And the illustration that I, when we were going through Hebrews, that I, you know, when, if you're, if you're driving home, right, and it's late at night, and you're with somebody, you're a passenger, and they're, and they're driving, and all of a sudden you start seeing them doing this, what are you going to do? You're going to go, hey, you, wake up, relax. No, you're going to irritate them, right? You want them, hey, get up, start poking them, start pulling their ear hair, whatever you need to do to wake them up, Right? And that's sometimes what we need to do because we can get into that funk. We can be saying, man, did you see this? And can you believe that? And, you, you know, all of this kind of stuff. I don't believe that this person isn't, this isn't happening. It's like, dude, wake up. God is still on the throne. He's still in control. We need to do what we can do. And we, time is short. And to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds not forsaking the assembling together is the habit of son, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love this too real quickly in Hebrews before we go back to Psalm. Notice in verse 22, it says that let us draw near with a sincere faith, full, or sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession, verse 23, of our hope, verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love. We minister to one another in faith, hope, and love. And when we do that, guys, it's contagious. It spreads. And it's important that we do that because, guys, <laughs> the world is full of fear and hopelessness and bitterness. <laughs> when we go back out there, that's what we're going to face. We need to be filled with that. Back in Psalm 73, again, the circumstances didn't change, but his perspective did. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Notice too, it says, then I perceived their end. He understood all of a sudden that, you know what? Whatever it might seem like, I understand their end. If they don't radically change their course, if they don't, if they don't submit and bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ now, they are, their eternity, they are, they are headed for hell. Surely, verse 18, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. God's not turning a blind eye to this. One of the things that we do when we come together and we study God's word and, and we, we understand the severity of sin and how seriously God takes it. He's not just turning a blind eye to it. He's not just letting them get along without it. If anything, he's showing them patience and long-suffering in the hopes that they will repent. But if they do not, they are cast down into destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. In a moment. Life is so short. It ends so quickly. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. All of a sudden, verse 3, when he says, I was envious, <laughs> I don't think he's envious anymore. When he sees their end, and he understands what is there for them, like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. He sees their end. Verse 21, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and arrogant. I was like a beast before you. Just being straight up honest with God. Man, when I look at the way I was handling this and the way I doubted you, 
I was, I was like a, a beast before you. I wasn't faithful to you. I wasn't, I wasn't acting the way that I should and that I know that I should. Verse 23, one of my favorite verses. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. I am continually with you. Nevertheless, even when his faith faltered, God's faithfulness didn't. Even when she got off course, God did not. Psalm 37, Psalm of David, verse 23 and 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Guys, when our steps are ordained, our stumbles are contained. When God has a hold of our hand, and we are following him, even when we stumble, we will not fall headlong. Notice, it says back in verse 2, As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Whenever you're with a child, I remember back when, with my kids, and even now with my grandson. We're walking along, and, and he's, one that, he's, just, he's just crazy. He goes everywhere at 100 miles an hour. And I'll say, I'll say, hey, buddy, hold my hand, right? And he'll go running, and he'll trip on something. And what happens when, when you trip, right? Your hands come open, right? He's like, ah, but he doesn't fall. Why? Because I told him to hold my hand. But guess what? I'm holding his hand. I'm the one who's got the firm control. I'm the one who has. He's not going to fall and, and crack his head. Not while I got his hand. And the same is true as we go through and we, and we go through these times and we go through and we stumble. The Lord promises he's got our hand. We will not fall headlong. Psalm 18.36, it says, You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. You enlarge my steps. You have a hold of my hand. With your counsel, you will guide me. And afterward, receive me to glory. Wow. <laughs> Verse 23 and 24. What, a, what an amazing couple of verses. In the midst of all of this. With your counsel, you will guide me. It's amazing now. After coming to the sanctuary of God. And by the way, I, am, I did make it a point. Coming to church, being a part of this. There's great things with that. But there are other places to have sanctuary with God getting alone with the Lord and with the word and be praying, getting the counsel from him. Your counsel will guide me. Your, your word will light my path. And afterward, receive me to glory. And I can't help but go back to Hebrews 10, 23. He who promised is faithful. Receive me to glory. Receive you to glory. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming back to get you. There you will be with me forever. He made that promise. Not us. He made that promise. He who began the good work in us will make sure it's completed. Afterward, 
receive me to glory. Again, the total countenance changed again when he gets when he gets to the, 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 the sanctuary of God. <laughs> Your counsel, you will guide me. Afterward, receive me to glory. God's counsel guiding us. Guys, there's, there's, an, there's a piece to this that's hugely important, and it's trust. When we go to the Lord and we say, your counsel guides me, that means, Lord, wherever you lead, I will go. I will follow wherever you take me. And I understand that that's, that's difficult. It's easy, to, it's easy to say it at first, right? But then once we start down the path, then all of a sudden that's when it gets shaky sometimes, when it's not going again the way that we thought it was going to go. Anybody ever see that movie Young Frankenstein? A long time ago, back in... There was a scene in that movie where the, the Dr. Frankenstein said, I'm going to go into this room with the monster. And he says, whatever takes place, you do not unlock this door. I don't care what I'm screaming, what's going on in there, you do not unlock this door. And they say, okay. So he goes in, and the monster, rah, and he turns around, he starts banging out, let me out of here, let me out of here. And they didn't, you know. So it's great when you're standing on the other side of the door, right? <laughs> and sometimes, again, when, when we get down in that, and we are following, it's going to get, so, and he's going to say, are you going to trust me? Because remember, I'm faithful. Remember, when we don't understand it, what do we Remember. Verse 1, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And his counsel is always good. And when we trust it and we follow it, we know the end result. Because he who promises and faithful is faithful. He will receive us into glory. Whom have I, verse 25, whom am I, have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What a glorious place to be. Just like with Peter. Lord, well, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Like Paul. All of those things that used to be gain for me, they're like a pile of trash now. That I might gain Christ. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those are great words together always, but God. For behold, those who are far from you will perish, and again, in a moment. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my God, my refuge, that I may tell of your works. When we come to the completion of this and we wrap this all together, we have a witness. We have a testimony that surely God is good all the time. There's been times when, man, I didn't know what he was doing and I didn't quite fully understand it, but he is always good. He has never forsaken me. He has never let me down. And again, Comfort one another with these words. Encourage each other with this. Surely God is good. Interesting again, as we just kind of recap it and close. Verses 3 through 12, it's interesting how the, the pronouns, as you read through that, is they. 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 His focus is on the world. His focus is on what's going on. His focus is on 
CNN and Fox News and, you know, all of the tickers that are going on and the tabloids and all of this stuff. They, they, they. What's going on in the world? And where does that lead? Verse 13 through 16, woe is me. Turns from outside to inside and saying, oh, man, maybe, I'm, maybe I've gotten this all backwards. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all of this. And the enemy loves to pile on that. But verses 18 through 22 the focus changes. The focus changes to the Lord, to the one who is faithful, to the one who has promised these things to us, the great and many promises that we have in his word. And then the last verses, 23 through 28, is, all right, now that I've gotten refocused, and now it's me and God. I'm following him. And I love the, the equation. You've probably heard it before. God plus me equals victory. <laughs> We walk in victory when we walk following in his counsel and in his ways. Amen? Surely God is good all the time, all the time. Lord, we thank you for that truth that you are good all the time. Lord, that we can, we can count on that. We can rest in that. Lord, we have the hope that is our anchor. That even though this looks like the darkest time, we know the end. We've, we've read the end of the book, Lord. We win because you won. Lord, I pray for anybody who is here tonight that is battling fear, anxiety, looking out at the world and wondering how this, could, how this could ever end well. Lord, I pray that you provide great comfort to them right now. And if that is you tonight, you just, <laughs> we're not slaves to fear anymore. We're children of God. We fight from a position of victory because we serve the victor, the King of Kings. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use us now as we have been recalibrated and, and focused again on you, that you would use us even the remainder of this week to be a bright, bright, bright light in a dark spot, whether that be in our neighborhood or at work, that we would, at, in the grocery store, wherever it might be, Lord, because the world is full of people that have no hope. Lord, we have the answer, and it's you, and we have that hope. Use us to, to spread that good news, Lord, because we realize that time is short. Thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for who you are and all that we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.